welcome to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. All right, welcome back to the Built on Air podcast. We are at season 13, episode five. Good to be with you, myself, Dan Fellers, Camille, and Ali are back with us. Welcome back. Hello. Doing good? Sure. If I if I sound funny on this one, I think I bit my tongue over the weekend, so I have like a fat tongue, and I and I I've been talking. It's a little bit better today. Yesterday I was talking pretty funny, a fat tongue. So if I sound different, that's why. <clears throat> but uh, good to be with you all for a regular weekly live show with the Built on Air podcast. It's an hour show where we talk about different things going on in the Airtable world. I'll go through what we'll be discussing today. We always start with our round the bases and share what is going on in the different communities. Then I'll do a spotlight on our primary sponsor, Onto Air. Then I have Camille showing her meal planning and scripts that she uses for her meal planning base. And followed by Ali and generating data buckets for reporting using automations. And then a quick shout out to our community. And then finally, I'll talk about field focus, synced fields, and sync tables when dealing with record deletion. So, with that, we've got a few things to uh, highlight in our around the bases. I'll start off with our latest new community that will start covering the new table forums um, launched by, by Scott and Built on Air is also helping to, to sponsor that and get that going. So um, it's definitely picking up. You see, you see starting to see a lot of traction there. So that is cool to see. Um, but uh, a couple things from there. Uh, Vivid Squid, who I know who it is. I don't know if he wants his identity out there, so I won't say his name, but um, uh, talks about asking the question of the definitive guide on the secondary fields. And this was actually new to me. I never really um, spent time uh, thinking about this. Quick shout out to Scott, who's watching. 
creator of table forms. But anyway, so the question is, maybe I'll show um, show that in our built on Airbase. Um, so if you have a linked record, if you um, do it with our hosts. So this information here of what fields show up in a linked record field. And I guess I've never really thought about that. So, um, but we do get a definitive answer. Did you guys know how, how that works? You yes, and I... it's, it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, you should be able to control it like you can in interfaces, but it's based yeah. on the top most grid view in a table. Yep, yep. So yeah, the topmost grid view. So um, if you go to that table, um, and what Scott pointed out was even if it's hidden, it will still show up there. Mm -hmm. so, so even and so uh, uh oh oh, oh shoot no. <laughs> yeah. it's back. Yes. Am I back? Yes. All right. I'm even plugged in directly to my internet. So something else is going on here. Oh. We'll see. Hopefully I stick around. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so, so, so the top four, um, where they come from. So even if they're hidden, so it's basically these four here so if you have one i get down, down so that it ah, shoot <laughs> am i still here yes <laughs> all right so yeah so those are the fields um that you need to be looking at to uh to display on there so that's good um discussion shoot <laughs> Definitely. Right. Um, I keep going in and out. <clears throat> well, to add on to that a little bit, there's um, that topmost grid view is also important in the layout of an expanded record. When you're looking at an expanded record that's on another table, it will also follow that same order of those grid view fields. Yep. Um, the only exception to that is if you're looking at an expanded record on the table that you're currently on, then it'll follow the view that you're on. Right, right, that's fair. All right, moving on. Next one also from table forums. Um, this is a good uh, summary. Uh, this actually, I didn't know about this one either. So Scott showcases a cool little trick. Um, I'll show this video. So basically if you have, if you have grouping in a view and um, uh hold on real quick we got a question from alicia welcome alicia does it also control order field appear in zap so well, in zapier i don't um, know if i were to guess i would say um Airtable remembers the order in which fields were created for a table my guess is that zapier and other external integrations follows the created time for each field. So um, I don't believe it, it pays attention to the first grid view in the sidebar for that particular table, because there's no way for the other services to actually know which order 
views are grouped. That's not data that's passed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Scotch mentions. It's, yeah. it's based on field creation. <laughs> yeah. The default, although they did just add the ability, um, might be only at the enterprise. No, I think it's at the pro now the API allows you to know what fields are in a view. Um, it used to not tell you that it would tell you the views and the view names, but not what fields are actually visible. And now there's a parameter that you can pass when making an API call. So in the future, that might change now that that information is available. But before that, yeah, it was the order of field creation. I would love that in the scripting API. Oh my God, I was doing something yesterday where I was like, why can't I do this? And I know what view I'm looking at and Airtable knows what fields are yeah. in each view, why can't I see it? So hopefully yeah. I have that. Yeah, maybe that's coming. I think it is in the uh, custom block. It is. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I was used to. And then I went and tried to do something similar in, in scripting. And I was like, well, this is impossible. Great. I really want to be able to, like, I'm, I'm anxious for the day where you can create a view programmatically with certain fields visible. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Next one. Uh, so this is, I mentioned earlier. So if you have um, groupings, um, what you can do is you can actually, once you start selecting and holding down um, the control key or Apple key, um, you can, it will actually update the, the, the grouping summary at the top based off of just the fields that you have selected. So I'll show this animation of Scott doing this. So once you have multiple selected, then the grouping value updates for just those selected, which is kind of interesting. That could be bad, could be good, depending on what you need. Um, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, I like it, that. It does that at the bottom if you have no group selected. So mm -hmm. the very bottom bar, that's the overall summary of that uh, column. Um, I was not aware it also did that for individual groupings, but you know that makes sense if you do it for the summary bar at the bottom. Love it. Yep. All right, next one. Um, this one's just kind of more humorous. Um, Kelly on Twitter mentions must have been looking at the documentation from Airtable and thought it was funny that they have to explain what an email is. So there's a section, what is email? Email is a method of exchanging messages between people using electronic devices. <clears throat> so very thorough documentation, at least on this page. <laughs> Love it. I mean, yeah, there's a lot. Of <laughs> okay, <laughs> I need to go back on Twitter, apparently. Right. I imagine they probably have like that format they have to follow for all their help docs. Like if they're integrating two things, they probably have to say, what is this? This is yeah. that. <laughs> that's, that's probably fair. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> it's also good for SEO purposes as well. I'm sure. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. But anyways, that was. Okay. Next one. One, we're moving on to the built-on-air community. Um, this actually came in today from Ben. Um, 
he he noticed um he's like i didn't know you could share a read only of the entire base and um other people mentioned no this has been around for a while but i thought it was interesting if ben hadn't noticed this and ben's ben's a pretty power user of airtable um then uh likely other people may not know about it so um i just thought i'd share it so yeah so if you click on share view this is just for a view but if you go up here and click up on here you can you have the base or the view so at the base level you can share publicly and it does give you a little bit more things allow viewers to copy data out of the view now this one i don't think everybody has I don't think this one exists anymore showing extensions added to the space. Um, this was like a beta that they were doing that that I signed up for and they haven't taken it away, but they have said publicly that they're not planning to roll that out. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm still cool for having that feature. I think they have that feature. There was, there was a share, there was a beta for sharing extensions, embedding individual extensions. Mm. That's the one that they, that they okay. want to move forward with, even though I would love if they did, but they're probably just moving to focus more on interfaces. So but, you can get extensions with, so that's available yes. to everyone. So right. they'll be so not, just a, a note, they'll be visible to anyone who has access to the link, but they won't be able to if a feature of an extension is to edit or add or modify in any way any of the records underneath the extensions will be disabled they won't be able to do that feature but if you have like a chart for instance it'll display the chart right mm. which is nice so i'm not cool is what you're saying well i mean you're cool but just not for this particular feature not that not this kind of cool okay well that that's cool that's good that that i was thinking that was still so that, that is of it. Learning things new on the show. Uh, here's a cool little trick from uh, Angie. Um, interfaces in a grid view. You must be clicked in the grid, but then if you command F, it will bring up a find dialog that searches the interface pages just like within a view inside the base. Uh, if you right click at the name of a group in a grid view with a group, it will bring up a collapse menu that allows you to collapse one group, subgroup, or all with a click. Um, in the, okay, so these are like three different uh, tricks that, that she's sharing. Shift and space will enlarge a field, like a nose field, so you don't have to make the field wide or the rows taller. Yeah, I don't think I knew that last one. Mm -mm. So if Yeah, you're, it's... It's a little frustrating for uh, grid views in interfaces where you don't have it enabled for them to expand the whole record because, you know, if text gets cut off, you just won't be able to see the rest of whatever's in that field. Like if you had a really long URL field, for instance, it's not expecting it to be multiple lines. It'll just do the dot, dot, dot mm -hmm. uh, thing. And you'll never know what the end of that URL is unless you click it. <laughs> Just space, yeah. So there's a quick shortcut, and I think they have lots of shortcuts you can go in the help. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So that's good stuff. There's also um, other people, Tim, about an omnibox for searching. So you kind of combine fields into one, I'm guessing. So then mm -hmm. you can just search 
that field. So that's a nice little trick. Mm-hmm. And there he posted in the forums. So cool, cool little hacks in there. Uh, one more, looks like this is new. So this is in interfaces. Um, it looks, there's a new, uh, I think it's a setting, not an actual new element. Um, oh, and I don't think this is live. They, they saw it on a seminar. So maybe this is coming. So here's a sneak peek. In the early promo, material for i think the first major update for interfaces not the original announcement but like the next time they did a batch release of a lot of features for interfaces there was an element that looked like this and i said it reminded me of either notion or coda uh because they had similar kind of styles for how they show like a a table component and i was waiting for several months now it's been for that to appear. And I don't know if it's just a marketing thing where they just build, you know, how commercials, that's not actually cereal you're looking at, like that's like motor oil or whatever that they use to make it look good for camera. I'm wondering if they did something similar where are we ever gonna get this thing? Cause I saw this like months ago and it's still not there. Yeah. I want it. I think it would look so much better. It looks nice and clean. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be a welcome addition. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many things. Some this. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that day. All right. Yep. Yeah, the last three, the last three um, things I'll show are, are actually new product releases related to Airtable. So there's quite a few people putting out new stuff. So I always like uh, tinkering with the new toys. Um, so here's a couple one, a couple that you can try out. Um, So this one's a charting, a map charting. So if you do anything with maps, um, they're building an extension to um, visualize your data in maps. So um, it's in the marketplace. You can check that out. It's called Map Chart. So saw that on Reddit. Every time I switch tabs, which is crazy, I lose connection. Um, Okay, so there's also a a WordPress syncing um, plugin. So if you're doing anything with WordPress and Airtable, this helps sync your data. So I believe it's a plugin on on the WordPress side that talks to your Airtable base and pulls data from Airtable into um, WordPress and maybe vice so any wordpress stuff check out air wp sync and then another one this one was actually in the um, Airtable community i think i saw it on reddit as well but base inspector so this is kind of cool um and i believe 
this individual used to work at Airtable and left, but is now building this um, tool. So it's a Chrome extension that if you use Make or Zapier, it when you're on <coughs> in Zapier or Make, it will actually tell you what bases um, it's using if you're connected to the Airtable connector. And so it will actually kind of inspect that and show you the, the base information. So if you're a heavy user of one of those two products and you want to get better insights into how it's using Airtable, um, that's a Chrome extension you can check out. It's very useful because when you have a lot of external automations, um, sometimes you forget that there are other automatic processes that are connected to your Airtable base. It's easy if it's an Airtable automation because there's a whole tab for it and you can look at it. But if there's no visual indicator in your base that um, a particular record, series of records or table is uh, referenced by an external automation, it gets really easy to forget that they exist. Yep. <clears throat> All right. I think, Ali, you want to share your your tidbit that you found this week? Oh, yeah. I had a couple different things. Um, in interfaces, there's now the option to um, orient your charts horizontally, which is super, super cool. Um, just another cool little visual tweak. Um, and then another weird one that I saw was I was in a base that was over limits. And in the bottom left-hand corner where there typically would be that plus sign to add a new record, it actually had a little like red triangle with an exclamation point. And when I moused over it, it was like, this space is over limits. To continue uh, adding records, you, you have to upgrade. And it did let me still add records, but that tells me that they are making movement on actually locking down bases if they become over limits, which we haven't seen until now. So. Yeah. Just a word of caution. Yeah, they're definitely locking down on that. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, that's good on the, the charting as well. So, well, that uh, concludes what's going on, keeping you up to date in the world of Airtable. Um, let's move on to onto Air, our primary sponsor. It's an all-in-one toolkit to run your business on Airtable, a suite of apps that help you do more with your Airtable business or what you're doing in Airtable. Um, we've been talking a lot about uh, new features coming out with our in our forms. Um, we One thing that I was gonna show today was um, sometimes there's things that we need to do that are a little bit more behind the scenes um, and they're not as cool as the cool new features, but they are kind of critical to, to making sure that, that things are running behind the scenes more. And so today I was going to showcase we're we're about to release our OAuth integration. So I've been spending quite a bit of time working with the new OAuth um, from Airtable. And that will be coming soon into Ontario. So you won't have to use your legacy API keys. They will still be supported. Um, so we'll still have them at least for a while while they're still valid, uh, but these are going away next year in February. Um, but you can also, instead of an API key, you can use what they call their personal access tokens. Those work the same as an API key. Um, so those will still work here, although they don't want us to kind of um, 
rely on those. And so we are pushing the OAuth, but we, we will support, it will work um, just like an API key does um, or an OAuth. So either, either way will work, although we are kind of encouraged to go the, go the OAuth route <clears throat> um, and do that. And so once you click on this, it'll take you to an Airtable page that uh, showcases the permissions. The one thing I kind of don't like is you are required to have to select what, what workspace or what bases that you want to give access to. We kind of encourage people to, to give access to, to all of them so that anything that you want to do in onto air, this connector will already have access to all your bases plus future bases, which is important. But if you want to lock it down, you can um, lock it down within a certain workspace or base. <clears throat> So that uh, should be coming if all our testing goes well um, as early as this weekend, um, maybe another week after that, but uh, excited to get that out there, start using. All right, now Camille is gonna tell us what she eats each day. Uh, can you guys see my screen? Yes. Yes. Uh, well, so, this base I created quite some time ago. I see that it was last updated July 28, 2020, which was not the day that I released it originally, but this base I made for meal planning, I think was the base that I demoed when I was interviewed for Built on Air. I could be wrong, but I think I used this base as my sort of example of all the cool, neat stuff you could do in Airtable. And over the years, of all the things that I've made for Airtable, this is the one that gets the most uh, support questions. And I got one over the weekend. And the reason why is because although the base comes in fine on the universe, the scripts apparently don't come in, uh, which is really unfortunate. Uh, I think if I re-release it, they might come in. But the reason I haven't done that is because I haven't looked at these scripts in two years. And it's possible that they might need some updating. So for this uh, segment, I wanted to just give a rundown of what is supposed to happen when you click these disabled buttons and then talking through some improvements that I'm considering making based on their current functionality. As a disclaimer, I have a separate copy of the same base that um, I sometimes use in my personal life, and I don't use the scripts at all. I just do it all manually. So, it's you don't need these scripts, but you know they're they're useful. So the big idea, generally speaking, for this base structure, which is pretty adaptable, not just for meal planning, but uh, more complex relationships in between different tables. You have a table full of meals, and each meal uh, has a particular day and a type, but it can be linked to one or more different recipes. So if I wanted to cook two things uh, on one day, I could. Um, and then I have a button that will create leftovers. So an idea I had for this space was 
uh, I say I want to make five servings. I'm not going to eat five servings in one day. I would be able to click a button and it would duplicate this same meal, the tomato sauce plus the stuffed shells, four times for consecutive days after this. Um, and then I would say, well, this is what I'm going to be eating over the next four days because the yield is five. I'm eating the day that I'm cooking. Uh, that is one of the scripts that is in the base. Um, another one uh, is prepare recipe, which I don't, I don't understand why this was a script to begin with. <laughs> so this is why I didn't ever re-release it because in actually using it in my day to day, I sort of decided it's not, it's not uh, super necessary. Uh, looking at how the recipes table is structured, uh, it has all of the fields that you might expect to be in a recipe field. Um, and of course, like many different table structures, it relies on a junction table that I've named recipe ingredients. If I go to recipe ingredients, you'll see that each recipe has more than one line item that says how much of each ingredient needs to be placed within um, the recipe. So um, if I go to the ingredients uh, page, it's pretty simple. The only thing that's somewhat special about this table was that it would be able to calculate what I would need to go to the store for based on what I have planned as a meal for that particular week. Um, what the prepare recipe script is supposed to do is subtract what I have cooked from what I have said is in my pantry. That is incredibly unreliable and I don't recommend this particular methodology that is loosely implied by this script here. Um, unless uh, you have a very, um, if you're a business, for instance, and you have very structured processes for maintaining inventory, then this is the type of, you know, script that would be necessary. If you're just some person like me who lives in a house who may or may not keep an accurate uh, account of how many ounces of tomato sauce you have, you don't need this script. So I'm just, this is a cautionary tale about whether or not you, you need to go overboard with something. The one that I think is worth saving is create leftovers. So I'm going to press the button and hope that it works. And if it doesn't work, I'll troubleshoot why. Love it. So Okay, so it, it did what I expected it to do. Um, you'll see, you know, I have duplicates that were made, counting each days. I think it did five. Yeah, it made five when it should have made four, troubleshooting. But you'll see that it, it copied the same meal over, and it also marked it as a leftover with this field. Reason I did that is because um, the ingredients table is rolling up all of the things that I should be shopping for, for whatever is this week in my meals table, except I don't need to shop for the ingredients of leftovers. They've already been cooked. So this is basically saying don't add any meal that is duplicated. Uh, 
looking at the code, what's happening here? You'll notice I'm, I'm using math, which is a bad sign. <laughs> um, we're looking at the meals table. Uh, we're looking at the recipes table. Uh, because I'm using a button field to activate the script, uh, I don't need to uh, go in here and click and select a particular meal. I could, uh, but I am relying on, for usability's sake, creating a or clicking on a, a button. Uh, from there, we're saying, what is the date that that meal was created on? So I don't necessarily need today's date. Uh, because if I'm planning ahead for, you know, tomorrow, Wednesday, I want to start calculating the leftovers from Thursday onward. Um, so then I want to get all of the records <coughs> that are linked to that particular recipe, uh, or all of the recipes linked to that particular meal, sorry. Uh, I want to get how much that yield I said would be, so I said five. Uh, for this particular record I clicked on. And then if I don't have a yield put in there, uh, I want to default to two. So, you know, I'm probably not going to make one serving at a time. I'm probably going to make one, uh, at least two servings if I haven't put in a number that's customized for that field. Uh, and then for each number of yield, I want to create a record in uh, the table for meals that basically copies the same values for the recipes over and then increments the, increments the date by one. Uh, because I am a singular person and I'm not gonna be making 50 meals or 51 meals at once, uh, I elected to just create each record one by one instead of batch creating the records um, in one go. Uh, I think if I were to redo this script, I would batch create the records uh, instead of doing one by one. So in order to do that, this script would need to be altered a little bit in order to accommodate that. Part of the reason why I create records one by one is because I was trying to increment each date by one. And if you're batch creating records, you sort of have to prepare the record values in advance and then batch create them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so looking at this, I would redo it uh, if I were to re-release it. And I just wanted to explain why, because every now and again, um, someone will come across that meal planner base, which works as it is. And again, you do not need the scripts in order for it to function. What there should be is a tool that makes it easier to sort of fill out this uh, this table, which is, it's not hard to fill out, but it's tedious. And it's tedious for, you know, junction records in general. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's it. That's just an overall view of how this table is structured. And uh, hopefully by next week, I will have a updated version of this. And if the scripts still aren't coming in through the universe, then I'll link to uh, my GitHub page where you could just copy uh, the same text over. So that's even if you download the base, the scripts weren't coming in? I don't know. Really? Well, or let's the... let's see. Copy base. 
And Scott asks if you have a base that will actually cook the meals for him. No. So I really don't. Mm. Silly. Nope. Absolutely silly that it doesn't wow. do that. Um, There's a setting uh, right. before you share the base in the actual script extension mm -hmm. to toggle on. That could be it, but. Be. I think it's when you upload it into the universe, isn't it? Well, right in the in the scripting app, there's also one under advanced. I think. Oh, yeah, show right. code and ha There it is. That's what I did wrong. I don't think that option was available when you. Posted I don't think this. it was either, because again, this was last updated in 2020. Yeah. So it had been some time. Uh, I'm not going to republish this though until the scripts have been updated because again i did also notice uh if you go back to the code and your leftover mm -hmm. i think you're miss, you're missing an await on line 19. oh yeah i am oh yeah see just i was young and naive then yeah must await <laughs> awesome Cool. Thank you for sharing that, Camille. It's always fun to go back and look at code from two years ago. It's never fun because I always find <laughs> things where I'm like, why did I do this? This is pointless. Yeah. Yeah. But the key is if you want to know the secret to not having any leftovers is having a teenage boy in your house. I've learned that. <laughs> Gotta have to give me a few years. <laughs> So that's in our house. My son does not leave much for leftovers. <clears throat> All right. All right. Hold on here. Let me share your screen. All right. Okay, so I was saying before we started this broadcast today, I can't remember if I've demoed this once before, but I think it's worth demoing again if I have. Um, I saw someone asking a question related to this in the Airtable community group um, on Facebook the other day, and it's a super useful tool that I use a lot um, in bases where I have to do like complex time-based reporting. Um, it's also just nice if you're if you like data and you want to bucket it in different ways. This is a good little method to employ. Um, so I have this transactions table. Um, that's all I have in this base. I've got a date, an amount. Um, this gross transaction is just looking at whether it's an expense or income. So it multiplies the amount by negative one if it's an expense. Otherwise, just by one to keep it the same. Um, and then I just have a single select field for company. This could be a linked record field, of course, but just to keep things very simple, um, I'm gonna just talk about what I would do if I wanted to create a table of months. Um, you could also do this with a table of weeks or even go even super granular down to like the day level if you wanted, um, but we'll focus on months for today. So I'm just gonna create a new table and I'm gonna call it months. And what I typically do on this table is I add a 
date field and I'll call it month start and just put in, I know that my data starts in 2020. So I'm gonna do just a couple months to start and give myself a lot of records in this table. I like to go out like as far as possible just so I don't ever have to worry about it. You could also set up an automation to create records on this table as you go through time. So you never have to worry about keeping this table populated. Another little trick, if you start just like in Excel, if you start the pattern of two fields here and grab this little square uh, nub on the side and drag it down, it'll follow that pattern down for that column. Um, and then I'm gonna add a formula for my name field. I always start with an if statement if I'm trying to transform a date, because if you don't have one, it'll give you an error. And I hate seeing those little hashtag errors throughout the base. So I'm gonna say, if I have my month start field filled, filled in, then I wanna format that start. And I have a very particular way of formatting that I've landed on after a while that I think is nice. Um, and I have a reason for it, which is if you start with this yy-mm, then when you're grouping, everything's gonna fall in line um, by first by year, then by month. And so then it'll allow you to also show out the month and year in full after that. So it still looks nice and you can easily quickly see what each month is named. So then on my transactions table, I want to do the same thing. I'm going to create a formula field to transform this date, the date of my transaction into that same format for the month that it falls into. So I'm going to write if I have a date, I want to format that date the same way. So yy-mm and then the full month and the full year. This slash slash is just visual. You could do whatever you want there. It could even just be a space. It doesn't need to be there, but I like it for um, visual purposes. And I'm gonna name this month with a little gear in front of it. This is just my little symbol. I use gears all the time to like remind myself and anybody else that might be in this space, hey, this field is important. It's integral to the workings of how something functions in this space, but you can ignore it. Um, can basically always stay hidden. Um, then I'm gonna add a linked record field to my months table. And I'm just gonna call it month. And finally, I'm going to add one more field and I'm gonna call it update link to months. And I'm gonna write in this field, I'm gonna say, if I have a month, if I know what month this record needs to be bucketed into, and that month does not equal the month that I have it linked to, then I know I want to update the links to the month. So all of these get filled in. If I were to take this and paste it here, this now goes away. So this gives me the ability to use that field as my automation trigger. So if I wanted to set up an automation, 
I would pick one. I usually, 99% of the time, I'm using when a record matches conditions as my trigger. And I'm going to say on the transactions table, when my update length to month field is not empty. Got this one example here. Then I want to update that same record. I'm going to update that month linked record field with the value from my formula field that knows what month it should be linked to. So if I test that out, we can see that gets rid of my formula field and it links it up to that month. Say link to month. I turn that on. Now, when I delete something, it should just pop right back in. And now on our months table, we'll be able to, if I just change this into a roll up and I roll up that gross transaction field, I sum up all the values. Now I can easily see what I've got for each month. Um, you can use roll up fields to get, you know, your average transaction or your highest transaction, lowest, et cetera. Um, all sorts of different things you could do with it from that point. Um, I like to also create like a year's table and link that up to months. So that way you can create reporting interfaces for each year, for each month. You could go down to weeks or days. Um, but the same method works really well to keep all the data where it needs to be in order to get that reporting correct. That's Very that. cool. Excellent. Nice. Nice trick there. Jan says he, he also does it similarly for his sales input. Yeah, I have a base on the universe that also uses a similar sort of methodology and it includes a formula field that outputs, you know, if you want to do, as you're saying, years and months, it'll output, you know, both of them in just one field. So you don't have to have a, a you know, one field for each and then uses a similar uh, process for automation. So it'll just link them both into the correct link field. Mm -hmm. It works really well. The only downside to it that I've found is sometimes I'll also write into my formula that actually triggers the automation, like make sure that I have a couple other pieces of that record before it runs. Because right. if you're actually entering the data in and you start typing a date, it's going to evaluate that date immediately and think that it has the right month and it could be maybe you're trying to fill in something from two years ago and it's going to automatically think it's february 2023 mm -hmm. um, so there are some catches but in general it works very well yeah awesome thank you ali for sharing that <clears throat> all right quick shout out to join our community at builtonair.com join that gets you in um we have a goal to get to 2000 members in our Slack community and we're making good progress. We're about a third of the way there for this year. Um, so that uh, we'd love to get as many people in and participate. And also we'd love to have you come on the show. So if you wanna share your story and your journey in the Airtable world, we'd love to have you on. Just reach out and we'll get you on a future episode. Our final segment, I'm gonna showcase um, 
uh, sync fields or sync tables and, and how to deal with um, record deletion. So I assume if you, if you uh, have been using synced tables, it's been out for a while. Um, and basically what it allows you to do is to have one table in one base get synced over into another table. And um, down the road, they'll have two-way sync. That's not, that's not uh, available to everyone yet, but, but that is coming. Um, but uh, for now, it's kind of a one-way sync from one base. So you have your source base, and then you can sync it over into a destination. But when you set that up, um, so right now I'm in my destination. So you basically, from your destination, you'll, you'll create a new table and um, there will be a process to pull them base. And one of the options of your synced um, table is how to deal with deleted records from the source. And so by default, it will delete the record in this table so that it always stays in sync. But it does have an option where you can leave the record in this table, even when it gets deleted from the source table. So that's kind of useful if you if you want to, um, you can almost use this as like an archive where this keeps anything that gets deleted and maybe you're refreshing your source with the latest information, but you want to delete everything, but you want to keep it in another base. So that that's that's one trick you could use this feature for. So I've used this in, in some consulting work. And I think a couple, um, a couple uh, seasons ago, I showcased how you can determine if you have that setting set on turned on um, to leave it here. If you have that turned on, how can you determine if a record that's here was deleted in the source? And the way that it used to work, there's kind of two ways. Um, and the way that I preferred, Airtable actually changed at some point along the way and it no longer works and it actually messed up our, our, our processes. Um, but it used to be, if um, it used to be what, what we would do is we would create a formula field that exposed the source record ID so this is a unique identifier for that record. So we would have this record ID and this record ID would actually get removed if that field was deleted from the source. And so, um, so I'll create a new record here that will now get a unique identifier for the source. And then if I go over to the destination, get it synced over, it used to be if I deleted, um, there it is. If I deleted it from the source here, it, the this record ID would actually be blank. And so it was easy to then create a formula field that says if the record ID that's coming from the source, not the destination's record ID, because this, this destination record will have its own record ID that'll be different than the record ID in the source. Um, but if the source record ID um, was is blank, that means that that record was deleted.
but they changed that behavior and now this record ID does not get deleted. So it actually holds on to what the deleted records ID was. And I'll showcase that. And so this formula no longer works because this is, is not blank or it still has a value. So it's not blank. Mm -hmm. So um, if I delete it from here, and come over here and sync. The C actually still there. Mm -hmm. yeah, wait, it's sinking. Okay, you'll see that this is still there. So this formula that is what the approach that we used to take longer works. So the workaround is to use a source link button. Um, and so what that is, is a button where this is this action is only available if this is a sync table. It allows you to link to the, the URL in the source table, which is nice so that you can jump back and forth between the destination and the source. So if I click on this, it will open up in a new tab the store uh, if it's deleted there's no longer a source and so this disabled and so then i have a new formula that is looking and say it's source link so if that button is blank even though it doesn't necessarily look blank it actually is blank then I know that this record was deleted in the source. So this is the new approach um, that, that you can do to determine if, if a record got deleted from the source. <clears throat> so if you were using the old way, which we were, um, someone along the way probably said, um, I need to know that record ID. It would come in handy if you just wanted to have a, a unique identifier for a, a deleted record. Maybe you were archiving it, exporting it somewhere, um, and you want to be able to still reference it. I think there, there's still value in having that, that record ID, um, but it did break this, this detection here. <clears throat> Great work around, Dan. Work around. <clears throat> uh, we have news from the front, uh, if you recall, 20 minutes ago when we were like, gee, I wish that mysterious new element type was available in interfaces gets released eventually. It's released now. So, <laughs> uh, first brought to my attention by Ben Bailey on the built on, uh, on air Slack community, and then by Jan in our, uh, live chat here. So wow. if desired, I have made a, an interface with it on there and I'm sharing my screen. This is what it looks like. It looks exactly how I thought it would based on the, awesome. the thing. So it's real. I love it. Good work team. Cause bold still comes in. That's nice. Nice. So, Somebody uh, was watching the show and said, Oh, I can turn that on. You know what? I like to think that's what happened. I don't yeah. know. What it so it's, uh, you know, it's one of the things that can be easily convertible. So very useful feature. If you, made a grid and think it's better as a gallery, you can just switch, swap back and forth, but now you can swap it to a list component. Um, you pick a source for the table. Um, 
apparently you can do hierarchy. I don't know what that means. I think it might be uh, their version of grouping. I've looked at this for roughly 60 seconds, so I don't have the scoop quite yet on exactly what it, what it is. There's a prefix field. What does that mean? Who knows? I have no compatible field, apparently. Interesting. If I turn a field off, nope. What does that mean? Selections with no additional rows? What does that mean? (laughs) What's happening? Yeah. What happens if I select? (laughs) What's going on? Oh my God, you can add records too? Yes, which is great. Mm, inline. I've got lots of good, like things to go play with now. Yeah, That's- so I'll be distracted for quite some time. I don't want to open up from here. <laughs> but, you know, that works how you would expect it to. It's really persistent on me opening it in a new thing. You could change row height, which is nice. Um, and then labeling, which is to be expected. What happens if I have things selected? Is it if you go to preview it, can you does it give you more options? What happens? What does it mean? Can I right click? Oh, I can delete them. Delete all. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Cool. All right. Fun things. So uh, a nice new interface layout. I need to figure out what levels do? I see the premium icon on here. So this base is on a pro uh, level workspace. I wonder, ah, ah, so it's letting me do it. So I think it's uh, available for at least pro level and enterprise. I don't know if you do it on the plus level that remains to be seen. Oh my God, does this do what I think it's doing? You could do the record and then records that are linked to that record. Sub-record. Mm. That's what this is. Wow. Like, that's, that's incredible. All yeah. right. Um, I'm very happy. We'll cover this, obviously, in more detail <laughs> next episode. But geez, Jesus Christ, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, So what's happening, based on my understanding, for this particular base I'm looking at, there are different types of buildings, like a house and apartment, and then precedence, which is an example of, you know, you know, one, two, three, fake street is an example of a house, and four, five, six, other street is another example of a house. That's controlled by a link field. So what I should be seeing when I'm done I'm going to ignore this right now. It's letting me pick which uh, fields I want visible. Uh, You can see, you know, here are all of the precedent examples that are of the type multiplex small. So I can add a record from here that is linked already. Will it work? I don't know. Because right now you can't... um, in other 
view types, if I go back and look, this is a list versus a grid. Previously in a grid view, you couldn't add uh, new records if the source was a linked record field. Mm -hmm. um, you had to find some other way to add records in here. So this might be a good workaround for that. But yay, nested records. That is cool. This is a formula field. So me not being able to edit that is expected. Wow. Uh, and then you can control the width. Nice. Cool. I wonder, I wonder if anything else came out new this morning. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but you can see here that you can control individually whether or not you can open up each level of, um, mm -hmm. e you know, each level that you have in this nested list. I don't know how many levels you can add as a maximum. First glance, this seems a little backwards to me. Um, precedence are my you know, nested level. To me, this is level hmm. two and this is right. level one. It, that seems backwards to me. Yeah. Um, Interesting. New levels. And then I can How add many... a new, level, new yeah. level above. So that is an intentional thing uh, for them. Interesting. I don't know. I think I would have done it the other way around, but this is very... <laughs> This seems very cool. So I'll be obsessed with this for the next two hours. Mel Melanie asks how many levels does it do? It's Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this this space isn't complicated enough for me to right. really push its uh, boundaries. Yeah. I'd have to find or create some random use case to really see my, if I were to guess either five or 10, because this would get really convoluted if you, you know, have a, several, several layers, or at least that's my opinion. I still don't know what prefix field means or yeah. does. Um, and that's what um, I think, yeah, what this is oh. controlling is like uh, in, in a grid view, if you are grouping by a select field and you have a certain select option that isn't represented in any of your records, you can hide that group this is a similar functionality. There are no linked records for several of those uh, building types. So they are hidden from view based on my selection here. If I show them, they come back and you'll see that there's nothing underneath primary dwelling. So Scott says it's actually a new view type in the data side. It's there too? To go out to the data. I'm losing my mind. Good of you. Oh my gosh. List. Oh my God, wow. it's dark blue and everything. What a wow. Oh my So that means they goodness. haven't fully uh, given up on adding stuff oh, to these kind of yeah. things. That is cool. All right, so obviously we're gonna talk about this yeah. next week when I actually know what I'm looking at, but this seems like a very, uh, it, it is a, what appears to be a medium between the Gantt view and the grid view, because the Gantt view shows, you know, a nested sort of relationship underneath uh, different records as well. 
um, except this is pulling in data from another view. This is going to make, I think, a lot of people's lives a whole lot easier. And then roughly two weeks from now, we're going to come up with a list of things that we want to be different. But in those blissful first two weeks, honeymoon period, we're going to be so happy. Yeah. It does also kill some of the extensions. <laughs> exactly. There's, that always happens where I'll have an extension in mind and then Airtable will improve something just enough where it makes it obsolete for me. I've been there as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll do a segment on this next week for sure. Very cool. I love uh, breaking news on the show. Love it. You've seen it here first on Built on Air podcast. Or actually, you've seen it first on the Built on Air Slack community, courtesy right. of Ben Bailey. That's right. Thank you, Ben, showing that. Awesome. Well, thank you all for, for joining with us. And we will see you next week on the Built on Air podcast. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, ontair.com, and we will see you next time on the Built on Air podcast.